Like, so you're, oh, hi, I think we're live. Okay. So, so come, so we're, oh, I should have taken pictures before we went live. Oh, so nobody's there. So I'm going to take a couple pictures. So we're going to smile into the camera before everybody comes. <laughs> okay. Look into your camera, not at me. <laughs> All right. I'm taking another one. Hi, if, is there people joining us? We're taking pictures. <laughs> Do it again, Kathleen. Look into your camera. All right, I'm doing one more. Hi, everybody. We're taking pictures. <laughs> All right, now I don't have to mess with that. Hi, everybody. This is Kathleen Wilhoyt. I'm going to wait. I'm not going to have you uh, sing yet, Kathleen, because I want to give people a chance to join us. And it always takes people a few minutes because I'm usually late. But uh, we're right on time. Hi, Ann. Uh, we'll see who's uh, who we're saying hello to. Hi, Ann. We're getting love from Ann. So you can't see anything on your screen on the side who's joining, right? It doesn't tell you because I'm seeing, hi, Tony. She says, hello, gorgeous women. Hello, Laura. Um, let's see who else is joining us. Um, so, yeah, we, we're going to wait until we have more of a crowd and then we'll 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 do some singing and uh, you'll do some singing. Hi, Jeff. Uh, not late today. No, I'm not late there. They're making <laughs> <laughs> the shit with Vicky. I'm late every day. Five. Uh, it's five ish. It's five. -ish. five -ish. It's 505. It's 501. Are you a punctual person, Kathleen? Uh, it's part of my spiritual practice to be punctual. Um, I teach punctuality. I think it's super important. Every time I am punctual, I feel like I benefit from it. It's considerate. Um, I hate being late. So I'm going to say I try. The problem is that I am, I get distracted and I do get hyper focused so I can you know, get on a thing and hours will pass and I blow it. So, oh, your puppy. What's your, what's your puppy's name? Carmen. Carmen. Oh, oh, Carmen looks like Petey dog. Remember Petey? Yeah. You're on the you're on the air, Carmen. Hi, Carmen. <laughs> All right. You're gonna have to get out. I'm gonna have to get her out. I think because she's gonna be a yell yammering. Um, do you want to do that before you sing? Because we're going to have you sing soon. Oh, okay. Um, all right. So Kathleen's going to go put Carmen in another. Bye, Carmen. We'll miss you. You got to go. You make too much noise. <laughs> How long have you had Carmen? All right. Just don't ask him. You have to go to sleep. All right. How long have you had Carmen? My silly doggy. Um, How long have you had Carmen? Oh, I had her since she was what I call a handful full of pity. <laughs> I had her. So she is now probably three years old, I guess three or four years old. Oh, is the light of my life. And Winston, is, uh, my other guy, he's over there too. I love my dogs. Winston, you've had a long time, right? No, he's actually younger than Carmen. We got Winston. We, George was our dog. We had our family okay. dog that we loved. And then we, um, Ruby was saving dogs from, you know, with star paws, you know, Victoria Burroughs, she's terrific. Mm -hmm. uh, she has this organization called star paws. I recommend. And, um, Ruby was working, volunteering at star paws and mm -hmm. Victoria was like, you got it. We've got these two pit bull puppies. We don't know what to do. So we, we nursed them to health. Mm -hmm. And one of the, dogs got adopted and then Carmen was adopted and uh I was crushed I was I was Sophie's oh. like broken 
Oh. I cried all the time. And the adoption, it's called a failed, no, not a failed foster. It didn't work. Like the, um, the big dog was picking on Carmen. And so Victoria called me and she's like, I don't know what to do. This adoption's not going to go through. Can you take Carmen back? And I was like, yes. Because <laughs> he didn't want me to get another dog. He's like, I only want one dog. And I was like, I will get my own apartment. <laughs> get this dog. You know, and, I, um, and then um, she came and dropped Carmen off. And Carmen was looking at my face. I was like, I love you so much. I love you so much. And uh, and now she is completely the apple of me and Dave's eye. And poor George passed on. He was he was an old old big doggy. That's he, the dog I remember. Yeah, and so he's gone. And then um, we felt Carmen needed a friend, so Ruby got a another free discarded dog no one wants. And, <laughs> and so now we have our two dogs and we walk them every day. I feel like it's good for my marriage, to be honest with you. We walk our dogs every morning and we have like the most comfortable conversation. Occasionally we get in big, huge arguments and I'll walk ahead 50 <laughs> No, you can swear. We're 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 on Facebook. Yeah, okay. you can swear. So uh yeah, so sometimes that happens, but for the most part, I really want I, I love walking my dogs in the morning with my husband. It's one of my favorite things. I love this so much. How long have you and Dave been married? Twenty-three years. Oh 24. my god. 24. How did you meet? I don't even know if I know this story. Oh, really? Um, I was playing music. I had, um, and I was, I wrote an end credit song for my friend's movie. And my buddy produced the song. This guy, Steve, um, Phil Stevenson. And uh, he's like, um, my best friend that I grew up with is going to play drums. I said, great. So Dave came in and played drums on the track. And, um, and after he played, I said to him, because I was super I was skinny, you know how we do. I'd just gotten divorced or split up from my husband. I felt, you know, I wasn't even 30 years old yet. And I, I was sober and I was like, hey. And he's like, when? I was like, you are cute, smart, funny, talented. You're perfect for me. And he's like, you know, we just had sort of a really, but I flirted very hardcore with them. I was, and uh, I said, well, you should go out with me. And he's like, I'm, I don't, I don't go on a date. That's too awkward. I'm not going to do it. And I said, no, I need you to go out with me. And um, <laughs> so we, we went to go see this movie I was in called the color of night. You and took him to see a movie you were in. Wow. I'm here. And so we walked in right as I was plunging to my death because I played a character who committed suicide. So I'm falling and then just splat, you know, whatever, 53rd Street on the east side of Manhattan. And, um, and we just had this great night. And at the end of the night, I felt like something's happening. I just felt like he was different. And then he didn't do as I pleased he <laughs> appropriately so i finally it's kind of a classic case of when you finally give up on something you let it go so because i was so nervous around him i just like like laugh too loud i lost my personality which for me if i lose my personality that's my that's one of my greatest assets and so, um i lost my personality terrible and i just finally just said you know fuck it i'm not gonna 
I'm not going to go out with this guy. It's over. And we had this one date, a wedding. It was my friend Rick's wedding. And the circle jerks were playing at the wedding. And um, so I was like, I told all my male friends, I was like, listen, um, if you see me just sitting there by myself, it's because I'm going to be on a death date. This guy doesn't like me. And all my girlfriends were like, he doesn't like you. If he liked you, he would be with you. And, uh, and then Dave picked me up from my house. He was like, pulled out my chair. What can I get you? So attentive. He was so sweet. But by that time, my personality had sort of flooded into my, stop it, Carmen. You have to stop. She doesn't, she doesn't much, doesn't much care for my long stories. <laughs> um, he, uh, you know, I, oh, I remember this is the best part of my story. I said, in my mind, if he doesn't kiss me by midnight, done. He is done. So we went to go see Hoop Dreams after the wedding. We went back to his apartment. We're sitting there watching The Simpsons. The clock strikes midnight, and I'm like, I'm out. I get up. I'm like, it's great. Thank you. I had a really lovely time. I'm going to, he's like, let me walk you to car. I'm like, nah, it's cool. Cool. I, I'm all good. And so we, uh, he lived a little bit on a, on a hillside. And I remember walking down the street, just doing one of these. <laughs> you know, you're like, you know, just like, I'm never good. <laughs> and right as I got to my car, I hear Kathleen. I turn around. It's Dave. He runs down the hill, grabs me, kisses me, and then we've been together ever since. I like that story. I was pregnant like within the month with Jim. Wow. So I had to do the old like you're either you're in or you're out. You're in or you're out. He's like, can't, whoa, we got it. You know, we just started. You're in, you're out. It's like, jeez, oh, okay, I guess I'm in. Anyway, we're we've been together longer than a lot of people we know that got together around a similar time. We just, I don't know. It's a it's a very easy, fun relationship. I I love it. I feel very very fortunate because it's not complicated, and all of my relationships prior to that tended to be on the more complicated side. That he's just not. We like the same TV shows. We like. You know, we, we both exercise. We like the same food. We like, we have just a ton of in common. And you also play music together, which is fabulous. Sort of. I mean, you know, both of us are semi-retired, but, uh, you know, you pull me out of my retirement. Well, and speaking of which, so I want to have you. Uh, so for the COVID crazies out there, um, <laughs> by the way, everybody's saying what a natural beauty you are and you're a yeah. pitcher. And uh, Amy um, Engelhardt says, I used to do her show. Oh, and, I love that. And uh, somebody, Will Harris says, I love Kathleen. She was kind enough to be a part of my oral history of cop rock, which is my favorite for the AV club when I didn't know who would trust me to take it seriously. And I'm still grateful for that. Ah. So, so you did something really nice for him. So um, anyway, so the COVID crazies are here. I was telling Kathleen before we went on the air about us COVID crazies. I don't see Cindy on the air yet. She, she's one of my favorite COVID crazies where there's a bunch of us. But Kathleen has a brand new song. And brand, new. brand new. I just did it. I just wrote it. So be kind. So you like literally like just wrote it today, like right? Today I was practicing the other song you wanted me to do. And then I, I get like ADHD land. <laughs> 
And so Kathleen didn't even know that we are the COVID crazies. And she wrote this song anyway. And she, Can I do this brand new song? It's really funny. And she started doing a little tiny bit for me. And um, it's not it's not funny at all. It's, 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 <laughs> really, it's a very tragic song. Anyway, it is perfect for us. So Kathleen's going to, what, what's it called, Kathleen? I have a name. You know we can I, have, love I know you can ask your listeners. They can name it. Okay, we are the first people ever on the planet to hear this song. And Kathleen is like in my top five singer-songwriters of all oh, time. Oh, so, too high of a recommendation. Like, they don't have to like you. It's how oh, I feel. Fuck them. It's my feeling. Mm -hmm. I can feel the way I want. So, okay, so we're gonna hear the unnamed song, and if, if there is, so you can, guys can can see if you can name it. Okay, ready. This is fresh off. So fresh. Okay. Days are running wild and free along the lawn. You'll never see. Oh, in caution too. title possibilities <laughs> somebody says, sounds like the the uh the covid crazy land okay so cindy beagle says the quarantine blues oh yeah that's good, uh, that's good. somebody that's else good. says quarantined with you tony says that i like that quarantine with you i like another one said um 
Oh, where is it? Okay, I saw somebody else had another suggestion and now I can't find it. Um, I like both of those are super strong. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, they're good. I, I like them both also. I think... Uh, big chorus. You know, I always like the big chorus. <laughs> well, okay, one says one bright spot. I like the quarantine blues better or quarantined with... I think quarantined with you is... Well, you know what it is. Yeah, you know what it is, and then that's kind of it. I that kind of waking up with you post quarantine. That's a lot of words, I think. <laughs> but, but you know, and you and Dave are a great couple. I've been around you guys, and um, you're a great couple. What are your kids up to? How are you? Okay, so tell me how your family is handling COVID. What what's going on in your house through this? Well. We have a situation that's interesting in that, you know, my son is adopted from Ethiopia. He's black. Mm -hmm. We're white. Mm -hmm. so, oh, you going through all this shit. Oh, yeah, so it's like a whole other deal around here. You know, we have been to Black Lives Matter marches and, you know, we're also paranoid and terrified of getting COVID. Like, I don't want to get sick. Right. I'm old, you know, I don't, I don't want it, you know, but we feel that, you know, you can't do this, Carmen. <laughs> you cannot, Carmen. She's ruining I'll, I'll send you out if you start moving. Sit down. Right up. Um, anyway, so that's been a huge factor for us. And it's right. been really, um, I'm going to have to let her out. I'm sorry. Come on. Don't worry. Go. Come on. Um, by the way, so I'm going to say hi to everybody. This song was fabulous, right? I love that song. By the way, Kathleen's going to end the show with my favorite song of hers, which I'm, I am I, I, I don't want to rush the interview, but I'm so excited that she's going to do it. Uh, I've been practicing. My fingers are getting, they're going to be sore. Yeah, but what I love about you, Kathleen, is you, you have such, um, you're so balls to the wall. First of all, you just, it just comes out of you because it, it's really, I, I think it's a gift from a higher power. It just comes out of you because this, you wrote this today. I mean, this just fell out of you. And it's not that you don't have years of experience and practice, but when, when you wrote One Foot Out the Door, I saw you posted, it was the rawest video I have ever seen. You just put that phone on and you just sang your ass off no. and it's so emotional and uh, i was sobbing you were so i mean it was and you've done other versions of it since that are fabulous and you sang it in the living room at women who write but that first day that first recording you did of it was just so raw and real it just you're phenomenal i just love Love what you do. Anyway, so you know they they ebb and flow. They ebb and flow. That was definitely an ebb. But, you know, we were just not getting along. We were just not getting along, and it was just one of those things where you're like, it's not nobody can put their a finger on like what's the problem. We like if we were to go to counseling, we would have been just like, <clears throat> it just didn't. It just wasn't good. And then I don't know what happens in life. You just. I guess sometimes if you muscle through those periods, if you know, I believe relationships have lifespans, and my relationship with Dave obviously is a, is a has a pretty healthy lifespan. So I feel like now we're we've moved into this. I don't know. It's like a graceful period of you know, like a new sort of love. It's been really lovely. But that when I wrote that song, we were definitely at a like a yucky. Um. So. 
how every relationship goes through yeah. that so so was it wasn't a conscious effort to get out of it it was just you just kind of got out of it well uh i feel like with kids it gets so complicated i mean i don't know what happened for you with your divorce but a lot of times i think with when people have kids together you stay in through periods that normally without kids you'd have been like fuck this i'm done but when you have kids it's like and finances and there's so much to think about i think that it makes you sometimes really weather mm -hmm. those difficult periods um and not you know if it's if your lifespan your relationship's lifespan is done as you know you know you got to move on and well, we, we we tried to resurrect it for a year you know we we worked at it for years Ah. We were together for 20 years, so we didn't give up quickly. But when did you now like to throw in the towel? You know, actually, I went to a program for people, places, and things, and I went to fix it, and what it did was it gave me the courage to leave it, to realize it was time to go. So I was in that program for a few years, and then I realized, oh, I'm supposed to go now. I'm not supposed to keep working at this. Was there an aha moment or was it just sort of working through your spiritual practice that made you get really super honest with your feelings? There were, there were, there were issues with the other program that were coming up. And so, um, yeah, I, cause yeah, you know, the sobriety thing and going in and out and, you know, all that kind of stuff started getting, you know, I, I, I was a, a bit self-righteous about my um, my sobriety and stuff and my program. And I was probably full of shit a lot. But, um, yeah. So, you know, it, 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 I think we just, I think we had our lives. I think we did, had our, expir we hit our expiration date, I think. Well, yeah. 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 I mean, and I really, I see that in a lot of people's relationships. It's just like me and Dave were not done yet, you know. At that point, you know. and and I see I see the kindness with you and Dave, and the, how much you really enjoy each other. And I think I think that's what kind of happens with relationships when they hit their expiration date is when the kindness stops. When you know the friendship kind of gets, you know. I had a thing with my ex husband where at the end of our relationship, he's like, "Why do you sigh all the time?" I was like, <laughs> "He's like, yeah, you do. You sigh." And I was like. <laughs> I don't. He's like you sigh all the time, you know. But I, do. I was, I sighed all the time because I was so done. Just oh. like, wow. Oh, how long were you guys to, were you to, with your first husband? Not long, but he was very important to me. And you know, I gotta say that I went to breakfast with him in maybe December. Oh wow! January. You know, we're still friends, and. um I adore this dude. Oh, he's so magnificent, but oh. he is not the guy for me. You know, he's, he's, in fact, I had a, a friend who was helping me get through that divorce because I was crushed and heartbroken by it, even though I cheated. And I was a terrible drunkard. We were horrible Sid and Nancy pair, like disaster. Mm -hmm. um, talk about, you know, that was beating a dead horse at the end of that lifespan. That was, it was over, mm. but I was heartbroken and I feel like it had to do with letting go of 
who I thought I was, you know, the total die young, stay pretty, you know. Um, were you already having success when you were in that relationship? Oh yeah, I couldn't swing a cat without getting an acting gig, record deals. Um, you know, I, I had a killer manager who got me into plays and feature films. And I mean, it was like the more, I worked more with that guy, this manager than I ever had. And I treated this manager like shit. I was so mean and awful. And I was just, I just, I just didn't have any discipline at all outside of the fact that I wrote songs every day. And I, uh, when I had an acting job, I refused to suck refused to suck so i would throw everything into my you know but in in retrospect i had like uh christmas tree lights on my head look at me look at me look at me ah you know sort of like trying to make sure nobody saw you know like the wizard of oz the little man in the booth you know i just didn't want anyone to see the terrified narcissistic freak you know, in the corner. And I figured if I sang enough or acted enough or, you know, I had uh, calico hair and wore feather boas, and uh, you know, if I did all of that, then maybe no one would notice how, how unlovable and um, despicable I felt like I was. The truth, obviously, is that once I changed my, uh, changed it around. And, uh, you know, as you said, you know, you can no longer tolerate uh, the a lie. You can't tolerate the lie. So the lie I told myself is like, yeah, I met him and we got married two weeks later. Woohoo! You know, and uh, it's great. With you know, it's true love. Well, it was a lie. We were not suited. We were not suited for each other. Um, he's hilarious, smart. I have excellent taste even as a drunkard even as a drunkard i used to always wake up the next day like wow look at that <laughs> really it's cute and i felt like i got my way with like, how did i do that you know, duds, but most for the most part i have pretty good taste <laughs> so okay so kathleen I, you know, uh, I don't, I don't even know if you know this, you were like my, one of my very first friends in LA, um, when we moved here, I didn't know anybody. Gabe was working with Dave at, um, Kilbourne. They were at Kilbourne, which is an embarrassment all by itself. But, um, <laughs> Craig Kilbourne was kind of a weird guy. He's weird. Right? He was very nice to people. He was a weird guy. You know, I thought he was great when he was the sportscaster on, on, was yeah, it people did. He was really good then, but when he got his own show, he was kind of full of himself. But anyway, um, when when we moved out here and and you guys had us over and you were just great, I, you uh, you turned me on to a hairdresser. We both were going to Cindy, and you told me where to go and you told me what to do, and and you really welcomed us and you had us to a barbecue and I met Maggie Wheeler and a bunch of other people through you, which was great. And um, well, you're not very hard to love. Oh. I mean, you're super smart, super talented, super funny. I mean, you were, it was like, no offense, but I wasn't thrilled about Dave telling me I needed to go hang out with this chick from a guy he works with. You know, it's like, I got plenty of fucking problems. I don't need to. I mean, like, please just go. And then we, you had me meet you at, you were like at the Oakwood apartments or something. Right, right. And I met you at the pool and I was like, I took one look at you. I was like, oh, 
is my cup of tea. I'm gonna have a lovely afternoon. <laughs> but you know, you really are so, so, so lovable. And just, you know, we have a lot in common, I think, you and me. Well, I think that happened the first day we realized we were both working on a book, like at the same yeah, time. Yeah. Right. And yeah. we were both struggling with it, with that. It took me 13 years. I don't know. Did you ever, did you ever publish? No, I, I still am working on my thing. I, I, I have a very hard time pushing myself away from the computer. Not with my solo writing. Cause that I should probably have not played it for everybody before I did my rewrite. Oh, oh no, no, no. That was, that was perfection. That was no, perfect. but with my prose writing, I'm very picky. And now I write plays and I just, just the tweaking, 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 tweaking. It's all, you know, it's the whole, I mean, it's embarrassing to say, but, you know, the whole Michelangelo, you know, shaving off the stuff you got to get rid of. That stuff is very hard for me to finally say. Okay. Kathleen, the only reason why my book got published, and it was 13 years later of me tweaking, 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 tweaking. I know. I know. Because Carl Reiner's guy offered to publish it. And that's the only reason why I let it go. I said, okay, now I gotta, I I have some, I gotta let this go. And I thought I was gonna end up going with a Sharpie into every bookstore and like changing words like after it was published. And, and the only, you know, what was really interesting that happened is that I kept tweaking it like you do. But when I finally had a deadline, when I finally had a deadline, I went to Palm Springs for a, a, a retreat and I finished it and I read it through and I said, you know what? I'm done. And I think if you really gave yourself a hard deadline, you could do it. You could do it. You could let it go. You know what I did? I, I ended up sending it to my acting agent lit person in New York mm -hmm. and he gave me notes on it. And I was delighted by these notes because uh, they were really smart and actually improved my book tremendously. I did wow. the rewrite. I sent it back, but I didn't FedEx it. I sent it in regular mail, and then I never called. And then he never called me back. I don't even know if he got my rewrite. I never called. I got my feelings hurt. I did nothing, and then I started writing another novel and then became obsessed with writing that. So, <laughs> you know me, an astute but businesswoman <laughs> You know, I, I really, I did not do the old J.K. Rowling's like, you know, I sent it out to 100 people and no way. Which, by the way, J.K. Rowling's, what the fuck is she doing? What is happening? Leave people alone, J.K. Let them love whoever they want. What are you doing? Write another book about warlocks. Holy crap. Leave people alone. Jesus, right? Um, so, all right, wait. So getting back to that, I uh, someone had asked for a first read on my book, this literary agent in New York, like big time. And wow. before, when I'd only writ written like five pages, because we were parents together in New York at a school, and she saw the way I was writing to raise money and shit. Anyway, I sent her my first draft, and she gave me notes, and it broke my fucking heart. And because she broke my fucking, I thought I had written the, the the number one bestseller, and she just tore me a new one. And I was like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> if you want to publish this as a memoir, we could do it tomorrow. But you got to name names, and I wasn't willing. And anyway, she told me to get an editor or to take a class, and I wanted to go like this. Oh, and, uh, I got an editor, and it was the best thing that ever happened. And I rewrote that book. And I sent her the rewrite and she never wrote me back. 
and I got my feelings hurt. And then six years later, Carl Reiner published my fucking book. And it was a number one Amazon bestseller, motherfucker. So, you know, it takes, she actually started me on that path. If she would have said it was great, I would have had a shit book. It only got better because she told me it was shit. <laughs> oh. Well, I mean, who knows what the path is? I know that the um, not sending it out thing is not going to work for me. Nobody's going to knock on my door, grab me by the lapels and say, I've got to publish your manuscript. Nobody's going to do that. So yeah. I feel like, and this is what I tell my students, you know, I teach acting class, but I, I feel like I even told them my recently William Morris dissolved their voiceover agency. So I don't have a voiceover agent. And my well, Morris isn't even what it's it's Morris, it's Endeavor, isn't it? W M E William Morris Endeavor. They dissolved their voiceover department. So they only have like their celebrity voiceover people and their I think the acting agents are gonna negotiate those deals. I don't know. Maybe they just dropped me and they told me, I don't know. But they, but they dissolved the voiceover agency. And then my agent, who happens to be my friend, yeah, um, I I wrote him, I was like, uh, a text. I was like, uh, did I just get dropped, question mark? Uh, you know, and I said something like, you know, I know, you know, the Billy Preston song, nothing from nothing leaves nothing. Right? <laughs> I didn't know I was dropped and then he was like we all got dropped you know they just they completely liquidated our department he didn't he was like really tormented wow. not having a gig you know in the covid thing anyway he ended up getting another job because dave sent me the deadline hollywood uh, announcement that he got on it and which i'm so happy for the guy he's a great dude uh as his friend i'm super happy for him course i didn't get that like i've got to sign you you know text <laughs> you've got to come over on board with us over here at such and such agency i didn't get that but i was telling my acting students i was like so because one of my students said uh that he was gonna uh he had had a meeting with the manager and he wondered if he should call the manager back to find out how the meeting went or if they should proceed and i was like i certainly think it's worth calling you know, because you don't know if the manager right. something came up in the manager's life. Maybe their right. kid got COVID. Who knows? Like, shit right. happens. Right. It's worth the call. Right. And, then, and like, for me, my my voiceover agency got liquidated. My agent got a new job. And so my question is, should I contact him and just say congratulations on the new job? And they, my whole class students, right? They're like, you have to. Yeah. Have to so I did. I was like super proud of you. Congratulations on the new job. Said so. I'm still waiting to hear. We must sign you <laughs> the most spectacular voiceover. Well, but right now, definitely nobody's doing anything. So that's true. But it, you know, the point is, I do genuinely more than anything. Frankly, more than me getting him as my voiceover agent, I am really genuinely happy that he has another kid because he has a family he's got a kid in college he's got a kid in high school like you know that's nobody our age needs to be out of a job right now yeah it's a scary time so okay so let's talk about that what's happening in your house so is dave able to do his gig uh during covid yes he works you know nine to five um monday through friday he has weekends off just like he did when he was in he works at this company called wondros really great company, a marketing 
philanthropic kind of company. It's a really cool company. Um, and he loves his job. He loves his job. He loves who he works with. Uh, he works really hard. And, you know, I think a lot of companies like marketing companies, I would imagine, have discovered that they can get a lot of work done over Zoom. So did Dave work in an office before COVID and then start working at home? Yeah. And now he's at home and he is very disciplined about, he works from, you know, I don't mess with him. He's downstairs. I have the upstairs cause I was going to play music and stuff, but right. he's in what I call my own little corner. I have a little corner downstairs, but um, yeah, he, he works really hard. Now I don't think our feng shui is good because my bed is right there. So he's like right beside the bed. And I hear that you're not supposed to work in your bedroom or whatever. Apparently that. Well, not that supposed to be good for your sex life. Yeah. 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 So we don't have great feng shui, but. Um, oh, it's not good for your sex life. Is that no, right? you're not supposed to have a TV in there. You're not supposed to work in oh there. We have a, TV, a giant TV. <laughs> all you're supposed to do in there is the old in out and really? that's all you got that's it yeah oh, but then you know what i'm really into have you seen trap this finish finish show on, no i think it's on amazon prime on i, I no it's icelandic i'd say dang we got to go to iceland tonight and so we, we would go watch this show i love my tv in my room terrible i'm gonna have to have bad feng shui i don't think you should work in our room though that but I will I just love my television well so did but if you're watching TV does that get in the way of uh intimacy I'm not you know the older I get not you know sorry but my you got to get the TV you got to get the TV out of there I'm telling you I know I'm not I, I look at I look at sex like um vacationing i hate planning vacations i will if he asks me where do you want to go for vacation i'll be like nowhere here i just like to write my stories and swim in my pool and walk my dog and then when we he plans a vacation and we go on these vacations i have the best time i'm so happy we did it that's how i view sex it's like if you ask me you want to you know like let's you know snuggle snuggle i'm like eh. or we could go to iceland just say <laughs> and then once if uh, we throw caution to the wind and we enjoy an evening of love uh i'm always happy we uh <laughs> we, we partook so that's how i feel sex I get it. so okay so dave's working downstairs you're how did playwriting start for you i at 50 years old could not get arrested i felt like my acting career was over not only did I feel like I couldn't get an acting job, but when I got auditions and opportunities, I was like, mm -hmm. I didn't, I was like, Ugh. all the parts seemed like garbage for me. I felt like nothing was inspiring. I got totally um, just creatively in a rut. So um, Dave's like, you got to get a job. You, you've got to make some money, honey. I'm sorry. You know, so I was like, well, what can I do? He's like, I think you should teach acting. I was like, that's what glue factory actresses do. I'm not doing it. And, uh, anyway, so I started asking around at auditions at parties, you know, to my character actor friends that I respected. And one night I saw my friend, Craig Anton, great character actor. Oh, God, I've known Craig for years, yeah. Craig, the greatest guy ever. I saw Craig at my friend's party and I, I always thought he hated me. He didn't hate me. He just 
didn't pay any attention to me. Anyway, I saw him and I just thought, oh, fuck it. And I said, Craig, uh, I know you and I know you know me. We've been in the same. Our kids went to school together. His, his kid was in another grade. I've seen you around. You're a great character actor. I appreciate your talent. Uh, what do you do to make money when you're not acting? Do, 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 what do you do? He's like, I teach. And I was like, what? Teaching? My husband wants me to teach. What? How did you get into that? He's like, I went to college. I got my master's degree. I said, I can't get my master's degree. I dropped out on a cocaine party, you know, and when I was a freshman in college. And he's like, no, you can go based on, as a, a baccalaureate, some sort of thing based on, you know, they take people who based are life experience. professionals or whatever, based on wow. your life. But you have to audition. I was like, I have to audition to get into college? Oh my God. If I get rejected from this, it's like, I, I don't even know who I, I, I don't know what I am. So I just tried my hardest. I just remember worker among workers. Every time I got angry about that, I was auditioning to get into a college program to spend my money to go back to acting school. I was like, oh, this is hideous. And then I just study my monologues more. My I had my old acting teacher that I love, this guy, Rick Mokler, helped me with my classical piece and my, uh, anyway, I, I, auditioned and tried my hardest, threw my hat in the ring, dropped the mic, everything. And I got in the program and I went to Cal State Long Beach for two years. I graduated with cold cords around my neck. Turns out if you're sober, you attend school, you do all your homework, you do good grades. Who knew? Last time I was at school, I was like, woohoo! You know, you know, like so as a grown-up, uh, I got good grades. I they at this program at Cal State Long Beach, you hit the ground running and you start teaching the minute you walk on that campus. You have 50 kids sitting in front of you and you're like, in action, go. So you get and with teaching, it really is a thing about experience. The more I teach, the better I get at teaching. I really feel that way. And now I'm really into my own thing. I like to teach my thing. I like to do it my way, teach my thing. I don't want people to tell me what to teach, how to teach it. I'm not interested. And so I have my own pride. And um, do you have a method? Do you have the, is there the, the Kathleen Wilhoyt method? Is there a method? Yeah, kind of, because I feel like it's more in line with the inner game of tennis. I feel like if you are painting a painting, if you're an artist and you're painting, mm -hmm. you have your acting teacher, your your painting teacher stand over your shoulder and be like, up! don't put the black line over by the table. Don't why are you gonna do that? Why would you make the face purple? What? Why? Tell me. And that's how acting classes have been taught for centuries, you know, or whatever, not centuries, but you know what I'm saying? It's yeah. the, and I don't think that that is the way you get people to feel free, loose. To me, acting's about being in the dream. It's about being in your character and in the imaginary circumstances and bringing your truth to those imaginary circumstances. And so for me, that is what I want to teach. And I think that has to do with repetition, um, looking at it 
because at a certain point, especially in my class, my students, I teach a Zoom class right now. You can sign up at um, Will Hoyt School of Drama on Facebook if you want to. Wait, wait, wait. So you're not teaching through the university? People can take I it? I am, but I'm carrying on my own class, especially sure. in climate, because as an old white lady, this <laughs> needs to change, to be honest with you. And I, I'm teaching next year at Cal State Long Beach. I have a, I'm teaching a class there. And I love teaching at CalArts. I loved it. But I don't know. I'd be a fool to think that I'm a locked-in adjunct professor at either place because of the way the institution has been uh, rocked by the current um, political climate with respect to diversity, mm -hmm. white fragility. Mm -hmm. it's, it's sad. I mean, I teach a class of 50 students at Cal State Long Beach. My classes are 50 students deep. Wow. We have like four or five white kids. And the entire faculty over at Cal State Long Beach is white. So, you know, as a mother of a black child, I'm a, you know, I kind of sit on two different fences. I'd be a fool to think that people are going to be like ushering me into the halls of great um, uh, academic institutions. I think, I wish they would. But on the other hand, I understand if they don't. I completely understand if they don't. I love teaching at these two schools, but I know my heart. You teach at Cal Arts up here? Yeah. Uh huh. I know. It's not a high school. Cal Arts is an is a Cal California Institute of the Arts. It's a okay. school out here in Santa Clarita. Uh -huh. and They have the most talented kids. Wow. My class. I taught acting for the camera up there. My class. And they were so nervous to get in front of the camera. But every time a kid got in front of that camera, I was like, holy shit, they know how to prepare kids for that. These kids have mastery of their craft. They were wow. so great. So I even switched up my entire curriculum once I saw, first of all, I had this guy named Carl um, McLaughlin. He's a, DP uh, actor type, but he, he was like DP and he, uh -huh. so he lit the scene so beautifully. I changed my curriculum because I thought, you know what? I'm not going to stand here while that guy sits on his ass, me blabbing about acting for the camera when I need to get every student in front of this camera. This camera needs to be rolling all day every time I come up here because this opportunity yeah. is ridiculous. So I switched up my curriculum and um, and then freaking COVID happened. So I taught them on Zoom, which was, you know, they were. How does that, how does that work when you're teaching a film, acting for film? Well, a, a lot of them, the school prepared them with reels. So I would just have, I had like Harold Pirino come in and talk to the students because my friends are all out of work. Right. So I had Jennifer Lynch, my friend Jen Lynch. She's a she directed a ton of Walking Dead. She's cast me in a ton of stuff. She's a director, super inspiring, beautiful soul. I had Alexandra Billings, who was my professor at Cal State Long Beach. She's a professor out at USC, who's on Broadway. She's a, she's in Transparent. So I tried to like help by because you know also kids are different. They are who they are in their souls. And so I tried to honor that, but you know, most like I know a lot of 
50-year-old white ladies is really like <laughs> Matthew Wheeler on. I had, you know, Helen Slater on, Helen Hunt came on. Fantastic. You know, um, but so I had these people come on and the students would ask the because like I said, the CalArts students, they I don't know what's happening in their undergraduate um and their their graduate program prior to the because I only had BFA fours and MFA threes. So they're all in their final semester in my acting for the camera class. My opinion is that acting for the camera class should be a year class, not a not a semester class. It should be a requirement, not a uh, an elective, which is mm -hmm. what all schools do. They don't even have it at, at Long Beach. And I feel like if you were to ask those students how they envisioned their career, I'm going to say to a man, there's going to be the oddball, you know, person who loves clown or experimental theater. You're going to get those kids, but they're but most of them are like, I want to be in movies and television and stage. And to minimize the tech, the um, to minimize what it takes to be comfortable in front of a camera, to uh, devalue having great scenes in the tank so they don't have to do student films for their reels, which now, COVID, your reel is your calling card. Right. And I think so foolhardy, you know, and I tried to explain that to both schools that I work for, um, Long Beach and CalArts. And I feel like my the people that I that are uh, were my superiors heard me, but I felt like both of them were sort of like it's a machinery. I don't know. You, uh, none of them look. Nobody was, was handing me a contract for the year. So, and then I talked to my USC, and he. They they were like he's like it's too much we don't have it in our budget, which is a shame. I think it's foolish. Whether it's me or Harold Pirino, who cares? I think that you should provide for students acting for the camera for one year, their final year, they can get a good scene in the reel that uh, uh, that they're proud of. And I'm uh, so excited that you're saying this because I was telling you Samantha went to NYU to Tisch. Uh, to be a stage actress, to, to be on Broadway. And she was in Atlantic Theater for two years. And then the last year she transferred to Stone Street, which is film and TV. She never wanted to take film class. She never wanted to do that. And she got smart. And the last year she did the whole year of film and TV. And she's got a couple of pieces that, that she directed and performed that are brilliant, that she's got a reel now. Yeah. Right. And that is what you should do. And a lot of times when they don't have somebody with their eye on their foot in the door of the film business. Like a lot of acting teachers that have been stuck in academia for years and years and years mm. who would, they, they look down at people in the film business as right. legitimate. There's a little bit of a snobbery. You can really sense it because of where mm. they value, what they value in the curriculum. Like, you know, there's this voice technique, and I won't go into the specifics, but it is the biggest crock of shit that I've ever seen. And the fact that they make these students do this, like, I mean, it's embarrassing how stupid this thing, this technique is. And it doesn't, it's like, they make these kids do this for hours. Wow. And it's like, that's more valued than hit your mark, find your key light, relax you know, bring your character forth, even though you have to start in the middle of the seat. I mean, these are all tricks of the trade that just take practice. 
But right. instead, they value that. When voice, by the way, if you see any shows at the National Theater, Broadway, they're mic'd. So even if you are like, but you've got to project to the presidium, you know. By the way, most people speak fine. Yeah. So why is that freaking? That should be the elective. I mean, that that is like, if you have a speech problem, then by all means, enjoy your voice class. But if you speak normally and how, and you have a healthy voice and you're fucking mic'd, it's ludicrous to me. But I am, uh, I am in the emperor's new clothes, naming the emperor. And I would guarantee academia, this is why I don't think that they're going to be like, hey, Kathleen, <laughs> calm down. But I, somebody's got to say it. It's All right. So, so tell us for a, for a moment about how people would find you to take your acting class. Oh, I'm on Facebook, Will Hoyt School of Drama. Just go to Will Hoyt School of Drama. You'll see and sign up. Uh, or you can just email me at willhoytdrama at gmail.com. And so now are most of your students working actors are they starting out do you have run the gamut of both damn it i have anybody in in my class because i feel like i feel like it's not rocket science man it's not rocket and, science it's like you need to practice and find joy and have fun and work out the kinks you know not be self-conscious you know and and i have different sort of techniques of of, of pushing that aside but um, for the most part, it's about repetition and um, an opportunity and playing different characters. Every time you play a character, you grow as a person and as a performer because mm -hmm. you, you incorporate the qualities of each character in your little heart and soul and in your instrument. You know, you, it's so let's talk about how that happened for you, because, uh, you know, and I, I also don't know if you know this, but. You were going to be my very, very first guest on at Women Who Write from my very first salon in 2008. You were scheduled, and then you got a gig, and you couldn't do it. And you ended up doing it, and it was fine, because you ended up doing it a few months later. But you going to be my very first celebrity. <laughs> and you've done, it, you've done it a number of times since, which has been fantastic. I know you did, and you inspired a lot of people. And so you should feel very good about the way you're of service. Beautiful. So okay, so so how did how did this? When did you realize that that's what you wanted to do? And how did that? Were you, were you did you were you starring in school plays when you were a little kid? How did it start for you? Oh, uh, my parents said I came out of the shoot. My first words were, "Watch me." I sometimes <laughs> you have kids like me, you know, that want to do shows. It's in you. It's in you. That's why with parents who are like, "Oh my God, my kid wants to be an actor." It's like, that's freaking awesome. It is mm -hmm. great. Listen, I'm not, uh, I've not been invited to the Academy Awards for 30 years straight. Uh, and I know a lot of people there too. Um, and I have a home and a car and a, a 401k and I have a beautiful life. You don't have to be a movie star to have a life as an actor. You can be a blue collar actress and right. show for pilot season. And sometimes you hit and sometimes you don't. Um, so I was acting, you know, I was in all the plays. I also, when I was five years old, I joined my church choir and I can sing. So yeah. I got solos in my church choir. And then, um, 
I was just sort of a hand bone class clown kind of type. And then I switched schools in the fifth grade and the whole um, social system was set up like they cared about their plays. So now mm -hmm. I'm getting the leads in the plays and um, I started gaining a lot of confidence in myself through doing plays and then got into junior high school. Theater was very big back in the 70s and the 80s in Santa Barbara. And so we did Santa Barbara Youth Theater every summer and then a big uh, drama in the fall and a big spring musical. We did the winter pageant. I was in the Santa Barbara High School Acapella Choir, which was like this award-winning choir. So I learned the value of excellence very young and discipline and like uh, practicing, 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 practicing. Mm -hmm. We had a singing group called the Boogie Woogie Bugle Girls. I was in the Santa Barbara Songwriters Guild. At, I was 15 when I started that. I couldn't drive when I started uh, wow. the Songwriters Guild. So I've just been like um, following. When did you start writing music? My father wrote country songs on the ukulele and my I would get in trouble a lot because I was a big mouth and a rascal. <laughs> and my mother would send me to my room and we moved to a house and the only place the piano fit was in my bedroom, which was sort of a makeshift living room with a door. Mm -hmm. So I had a piano in there. So she'd send me to my room and when I get in trouble and I'd just play the piano. Wow. Play. And then um, she would make me practice for my piano lessons. And I didn't want to read music. I just would make up songs that sounded like I was playing the music for my <laughs> lessons. And then finally, my mom sent me to this girl, Robin. And I can't remember her last name, but she was a big Joni Mitchell fan. Mm. And she only had me play my songs in my piano lessons. So she wow. songs. And so I did it. So all through junior high and high school, I was writing songs. And so where did success come first for you, from music or from acting? Well, that's interesting you say that because I remember when I was a senior in high school, I was either going to go to the Dick Grove School of Music. I was going to, I thought about CalArts and then um, I had two boyfriends that went to USC in the theater program. Mm -hmm. My best friend at the time, Kay Best, she got in the USC. She wanted to try out for the theater program. Mm -hmm. so I was like, ah, I'm just going to do what they did. So I tried out to get into the BFA program at USC and the two of us went to USC. So, and then when I was at USC six weeks in, somebody, this manager had seen my play that I did when I was a senior in high school. And he said, they need a comedian to play 16. You should go in on this audition. I went in on the audition on a Friday. On Monday, I was rolling it to the set. So I got that. What was, what was that first gig? Private school for girls. It was a quality picture. It was a <laughs> movie. <laughs> the day, you know, it was a terrible. What was, what was your first big gig? Private school. Okay. Private school, and then uh, I went back to college, finished my second semester. Did not get asked back to to go be a sophomore in college, which I wow. was really hurt by. But they were told me at my final interview that you need to go work, go work, because I missed so much school from uh, auditions and stuff like that. So then. I ran out of money. I had to get a normal job. And then I started working at a market research place. And within two weeks, I got another movie of the week. And then I just started um, acting, you know, 
Okay, so let's talk about some of the people that, I mean, you know, I, I remember the first time I became very aware of you was Chloe in ER, which that was the most heartbreaking care. Well, that's not true. Cop Rock was first. Let me let my dog out. Go let your dog out. No. I'm, I'm lying because Cop Rock, of course, was first. So I'm totally lying. Um, I'm lying. I'm, I, we're going to read some questions in a bit. But um, so, all right. So Cop Rock. Cop Rock. I can't believe Cop Rock wasn't like the biggest hit of all time. <laughs> you guys were, I think you were ahead of your time. <laughs> this was, it was such a brilliant show. Uh, did you love doing it as much as we loved watching it? I was a mess doing that show. How so? Well, I'd met a guy in Nashville. I, I had a record deal and I, well, first I crashed my car. Oh. And then I lost my apartment, and then I had to go to jail for because of a uh, drunk oh. driving. And then I thought, uh, "Fuck California," and I moved to Texas. Still, like flying back for auditions every now and then, but I still had that killer manager, right? So he kept getting me jobs, but well, I kept trying to. How are you managing that while going to jail and shit? Well, I'm telling you, as an actor, that's why I think so many people just. It's tricky because the business doesn't give a shit what you're doing to yourself. You need to show up and hit your mark and know your lines. Wow. And it, so nobody cares just as long as you wow. hit your mark and know your lines. I mean, we've seen it over and over and over again, you know. It's kind of wow. it's kind of weird, you know. Same with the music business. You think about like poor little Karen Carpenter, you know, why didn't why didn't she just not go on tour? Well, they make you go on tour. She had a demand. People wanted to see her. She probably mm -hmm. should have he not gone on the last few tours. But who knew, you know? Anyway, I was just on a very self-destructive run. And so Cop Rock, I had just married a guy I knew for two weeks, my first husband, who was really funny, but we were both just a mess. So I was a disaster. But I did have a ball doing that show. And did you I have when you were a disaster? What? When you were a disaster, when you were a drunk, did you have a work ethic still when you? No. Totally. I wouldn't show up drunk. I didn't. I knew how precious getting an actual acting job was. Mm -hmm. So that was like, but, but then when I punched out, I would self-destruct, right? So. I don't know. I, I did show up a lot for my, I mean, I never, my career was never so good as when I was drinking. And drinking. Wow. So, wow. Uh, the only, the reason I quit drinking was because I got fired off a movie for drinking. So I was like, so I guess ultimately I did fuck it up through drinking. Okay. So, but normally you weren't drinking on set, like on Cop Rock or you weren't my drinking. My husband was banging dope in my trailer. Wow. <laughs> so I was like, oh my God, oh my God, I, you know, big drama girl. That was pretty funny. Um, so a lot was going on, but I, with the same token, I played a junkie. I played a character, just a hardcore drug addict, yes. cop rock. So when I sat on the bench in the middle of, uh, you know, by the train tracks in the bad area of town or whatever, I, um, you know, when I sang that song, I brought a lot to the table, I think, because I, I 
knew that I wasn't going to be able to carry on like that for much longer. How much longer did you, uh, when did you get sober, Kathleen? And tell us about what got you sober. I seven years old when I got sober. I'm 50 now, 27. And and what was the, move? What, what happened? Why did, what happened? I got fired off of a movie. I was doing a movie in New Jersey and, uh, uh, well, my husband had overdosed. He overdosed. He didn't die, but he overdosed, went to the hospital, very dramatic, traumatic. When he came back home, a limousine pulled up. I got in the limousine to take me to the airport, to take me up to this acting gig. And I just couldn't stop drinking. And I just drank, 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 drank. Got to the airport, drank, 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 drank. Got to the uh, New Jersey. You know, they held the sign, Will Hoyt. Me, actress. Me, no lines. Me, hit my marks. Me, actor. Oh, I, you know, who knew? I was in a complete blackout, whatever. And I go to the hotel and just completely, you know, blow it, I guess. You know, totally blow it. Got fired the next day. They sent me home. And then I was, I remember sitting in my house, right? I lived about 200 yards away from the log cabin in West Hollywood. And I sat in my house and I was like, wow, <laughs> this sucks. I think I need to get sober. So I called central office and then I, um, I got, I started and I got sober. It changed my life. I mean, I, I wouldn't trade it. I wouldn't trade it. And by the way, I wouldn't trade some of my hilarious drinking and drugging stories, I feel like I burned it to the ground in a beautiful way. And hopefully I didn't hurt that many people on the way down, you know? I have- You were very young. Yeah, I was 27 when I got so Wow. Yeah. And um, I, I am really happy that my kids have never seen me drunk. And so did your, so how did your career change after you got sober? Well, I thought I wasn't going to be able to write a song again, and that wasn't true. I wrote my first album was mostly songs that I'd written sober. Um, and then I was terrified to get an acting job and thought for sure I was going to get fired again. And I remember my first acting job was with the guy named Bruce, not Bruce Davidson. Bruce Davidson? You know, the oh, Bruce Davidson. Yeah. He's terrific. Anyway, I was so scared get fired and my, my friend at the time she's like but you're not drinking now so you probably won't get fired <laughs> i was like yeah i know they're gonna fire me i know they're gonna fire me. and i didn't get fired oh, i ended up getting fired sober but it didn't feel the same as when you get fired for being a total idiot when you get fired when you're sober it's because you weren't right for the project and the the people didn't like you you know like didn't want you around so that feels different than getting fired because you are can't stop drinking you know? okay so let's talk about some of like the highlights so so that the cop rock thing was dramatic because your husband was shooting dope and you were drunk and so not the best memory what was it how was working with kevin spacey um what was he like uh paid forward what what was he like kevin spacey that's great um, well, I have so much curiosity about him. No, no. Helen Hunt is my friend, yes. my real friend. She's like a real true blue. She's very loyal to me. She's been very good to me consistently throughout my life. And I love her. So 
I think I, I just had a baby, so I was really fat. And I think that I really needed an acting job. And Mimi Leader is the director of Pay It Forward. And so she called me into audition. And then after I did my audition, I felt very good about my audition. I called Helen and I said, I just auditioned for your movie. I want you to put in a good word for me. Anyway, she's like, I didn't even know you were auditioned. And I, I called to put in a good word for me for you. And they already cast you. So I was so happy, you know, plus I didn't have to use my calling Helen Hunt, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so then I had to go for a rehearsal over at Raleigh Studios with Helen. So I'm so now, you know, because she's a real friend, I'm not like nervous in the in the same way I would be with two strangers. Right. And I've worked with Mimi Leader. So he was like very nice because I was friends with Helen treated me like gold. Nice. The thing that was interesting about Kevin and Helen is that I am a very, I would say, you know, there's fine artists and impressionistic painters or whatever. My acting technique is very much an impressionistic. Like I just feel the character and then just do the thing. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm very like, ready, set, go. You know, and I, I just do it. <laughs> and I think of characters, but I'm not very, um, I don't like to think too much. I like to get, I, I like to not think when mm -hmm. I'm at mm -hmm. Helen and Kevin, both Academy Award winning actors, both soup, like went through line by line with wow. me. They were so smart. And the things that they had suggested and the way they broke the scene down, I was sort of sitting there. I, I was like, <laughs> I, I, you can't bust balls like that because they have Academy Awards. I have nothing, you know. Like I can't say like, "What the fuck?" Relax, just do it. You know, which is what I wanted to say, but they were so passionate wow. about their work and um, so gifted at at breaking it down. That I learned a lot from them, you know, and I, I've learned so much from Helen. In fact, she's such a delight to have in as a guest in an acting class because there's no secret to why she's had the success that she's had. She worked so hard. She's so passionate about her work as an actor. She just adores it, you know. I, it shows. I saw her. I've seen her at your gigs uh, come to support you. And I also saw her and Paul do a uh, a talk at SAG when the new Mad About You came out, which I think is brilliant. I don't have um, whatever it's on, I, Spectrum or something. I don't get it. But I got to see two episodes that day with them and they talked about it. And I thought it was as brilliant as ever. Have you have you seen it? Yeah. Oh, that's great. She's fantastic. Oh yeah. Fantastic. She used to, we used to make jokes when we were hanging out. She used to live by me. We'd hang out and she'd say, I forget, I forget how the conversation came by. And she goes, you know what would be an ideal trip for me? And I said, what? She said, if I could go to Hawaii, invite all my friends and we'd sit around on the beach and just read Shakespeare. And I was like, what? <laughs> 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 Boring. 
like now I would like it because I went back to college. I have a whole new appreciation for Shakespeare, like whole thing. But at at twenty, whatever it was when we were hanging out, twenty four. I'm like, hell no! <laughs> Thank you. You know. Okay. So passionate. You know. How about ER? What was that scene? Was George Clooney on when when you were on that whole? Yeah. Club? George was my buddy for, you know, because he was just a normal, you know, we call it the, the freshman dorms. South of Sunset Boulevard, uh, north of like Wilshire Boulevard, mm -hmm. um, let's say Highland and La Cienega. That whole section we used to call the freshman dorms. Uh -huh. Filled with actors. George lived there. I lived there. Maggie lived there. Everyone I know lived in that square area. Wow. Uh huh. Um, we all went to parties together. Um, my friend Carrie, you know, like everybody. And um, so George was around. George and uh, Hesloff, and just uh, we were just we would just all hang out. And John Grice, like all kinds of people. Anyway, so I knew George, and he was a pal of mine. One summer we hung out all the time. Uh, anyway. So when I got ER, my issue was Tony Edwards, Anthony Edwards, right. very first love of my whole life. What? Yeah, in my whole life. My first love is Tony Edwards. Oh. And, uh, I was 16 when, when he was my boyfriend. He was my first oh. boyfriend. Oh. And I just love, love Tony Edwards. For years, I, he was the fish that got away. Oh, I have a you know, I loved him, but he was troublesome to me because I don't think he had the same affection for me. Just <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so I remember when I we had broken up in, in high school, he had taken a girl to a show that I was in at the Libero Theater, I was singing in the pit with the orchestra. For this was a uh, Access Theater, which is a theater for um, um, people with disabilities. Okay. With disabilities. So they had singers singing the songs in the orchestra pit while the mm -hmm. the actors with disabilities performed on the stage. I was doing that. I was like one of three singers singing uh, with the orchestra, and I looked up from the pit, and there was my boyfriend with another girl oh. and that's how i broke up with my first boyfriend climbed over out the pit yeah. walked up the aisle screamed at him <laughs> you, ah, you know walked back down to the pit sat down did the whole show sobbing um anyway fade in fade out four years later i go to los angeles i get er and uh, I have to see Tony Edwards on the show. I show up for my first day. I go into the makeup trailer, and I was, and I was like, "Hello." He's like, ah! <laughs> "Oh my god!" No, nah, I don't know, honey. but he he was so sweet, and um, he had told the cast about how I had uh, very unceremoniously. <laughs> broken or not he didn't I didn't break up with him I mean you know whatever I mean I, I can't remember what it was but I remember that story got told I was like oh yeah I did <laughs> <laughs> and so do you guys did fine when you were both working on the show 
Oh, he's 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 about as charming and as kind and he's a he's a tremendous guy, which I like I said, I have excellent taste. Yeah. And, uh, he's a tremendous guy. And um well, I, I just I have the utmost respect for the dude. I, I I've always had trouble, you know, that's it's a sad thing if you I I was thinking about writing a book called Whoever Loves the Most Wins. Mm. It sucks when you like someone more than they like you or you got I was gonna say, do you do you win if you love the most? I think the one who doesn't love the most wins. I don't know. I think you love the I think whoever loves the most wins. Why? Because when you are in love, you're just you win. You win. Love yeah. is good. You get the you get to experience yeah. the most love. I don't like to withhold. In mm -hmm. fact, when I got together with my husband Dave, mm -hmm. uh I remember he was like, why do you got to tell me you love me all the time? And I remember pulling over on the freeway and saying, listen, I did not get sober to fucking withhold my shit. If I feel good about you, you take it. And if you don't want to take it, then you ain't the guy for me because I do not want to withhold. It makes me sick. I don't want to do that. I want to, if I feel love for you, I want to just freaking smear it all over you. I just want it all over. I love love. You know, I love it. And, uh, and so he was like, okay, Jesus, <laughs> my child, Jesus. Oh, wow. But now, you know, it's like, uh, I, I love that about us. You know, I, I, I don't, I mean, he, I mean, I don't even do it very much now because we're all old. Like, anyway, you know, but I, uh, I love that. And I learned about that, you know, I remember my first husband in his, you know, wisdom. He said, Hey, I'm not against you. I'm on the same team as you. Remember that. And I love that. And I feel that way about Dave, that, 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 that lesson, I believe a hundred percent that I learned from my first husband, I've carried that with me. And I think it is the reason my marriage is successful. I feel like Dave and I are on the same team. It's one, well, it looks that it, it, it certainly appears that way. That's definitely the feeling I got. Um, okay, so I have one more uh, person to ask you about. So, how about Patrick Swayze? What was that? What was he like? Well, you know, uh, Roadhouse was my sex, drugs, and rock and roll movie. Mm -hmm. It was my memory of it is spectacular. If you come down to Los Angeles and you want to know about hookers, drugs, rock and roll being in that movie a joel silver movie in 19 i don't know what was it 1985 i don't know with patrick swayze at the height of his career with sam elliott at the height mm -hmm. of his i mean it was phenomenal and i couldn't wait to get to that set every single day they had beer i was drinking they had beer in the bar scene wow. flowing just woo the um and there were hookers on the set. I remember being back in the makeup trailer and this girl who was completely broken, broken hooker, boobs out to here, huge blonde hair. We teased up our hair, remember? And um, she's taking her makeup out of her purse. She puts down her compact, her lipstick. She puts down her eyeshadow. She puts down her gun. She puts down her... I was like... Is that a, is that a gun? Like, yes, you never know. Just you need a gun. You never know. 
have to be safe. <laughs> you know, broken. She's broken, this girl. How about that? But I was like, I am not in Santa Barbara anymore. <laughs> <laughs> fucking rocks. She has a gun, this chick. Wow. Um, and and uh, so what was Patrick like? He was a dedicated. He didn't partake in, or I didn't know about it, you know, but he loved his wife. He loved acting. He, um, he, he was, he's marvelous. Uh, I don't know. I, I could not. I'm so grateful I got to work with that guy. And I was brokenhearted that, that he passed away so young. That sucks. He was just dedicated and um, a real artist and never apologized for being a ballet dancer. Just, you know, he'd wait for the scene to start and do a pirou double pirouette, you know, stuff like that. And then they'd be like, action! <laughs> you know, it was so spectacular. Oh, yeah. I'm okay. Like, how about in my, you know, Samantha was addicted to Gilmore Girls and she's tried to get me to sit down and watch it with her. And she, we have to watch it as a mother and daughter. And I have to admit, I haven't watched Gilmore Girls, but how was that experience for you? And did you, did, did Ruby relate to, was that like a mother daughter thing for you? No. No. They are the most un disenchanted, disenchanted, uh, unenchanted. I don't know. They are not in. Um, impressed by my acting career at all. <laughs> if they are, I know nothing about it. Um, that job was great uh, for me because they had Amy Palladino just cast me. I didn't audition for it. Mm -hmm. I, and they, you know, I remember my agent telling me, that's my dog, so obnoxious, just scratching the door. <laughs> um, my agent told me about you know, oh, they, you you know, you got an offer to do this job, and I they they paid me well, and um, it was a joy. You know, it's like doing this. I can't believe this. Hold on. Okay. Um, uh, you guys, if you have questions, I I I don't know if I'm going to go all the way back through the thread, but if you have questions, throw them down there now at the bottom of the thread, and I'll try to look over here uh, with Kathleen. Yeah. So Gilmore Girls. So tell me. Um, it was just a joy, but you know, there it's a real discipline because um, I'm texting my husband because I need him to bring my power cord. Uh oh, so I'm, I'm gonna run out of power. Uh oh, Dave, I know. Bring my power cord. Can we check his text while he's working. I hope so. There's please. Okay, so. It was such a blast. But the first day I did it, I had a scene that was eight pages long. And it's imperative that you know the the scenes word for word. If you say uh, the, uh, like, uh, instead of eh, they will cut the scene and say back to one and you have to start the wow. scene. You have to do that shit word perfect. I didn't have that discipline. I was sort of like from ER, you just get your script and you're like in the makeup trailer, uh, my part. <laughs> Got it. You can't do that on the Gilmore Girls. You got to work those lines like crazy. So my first day on the job, eight pages and, you know, halfway through, I'm from the Jimmy Stewart acting universe. Halfway through, I was like, oh my God. Uh, you know, I, I think I said, uh, 
maybe I said, maybe I should do this. And they were like, cut, there's no maybe in the script. Okay. Uh, okay. Okay. Anyway, I was so tense. So from then on, I just memorized the hell out of it to the best of my ability and just tried. And you have to speak really fast because that's the nature of the thing. They do 75 page scripts and, you know, 59 minutes. So you got to really talk like this. You got to do it the whole way time. And then blah, 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 blah. speech, 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 speech. And that's, it's like doing a, a, a period piece, to be honest. And I think that Amy's brilliant and people really, she really tapped in on something gorgeous, you know, and um, I was really grateful to be in it. I loved working with Michael Deloise and mm -hmm. David Deloise. Mm -hmm. Michael was my husband and he was so sweet. He's salt of the earth. Tell mm -hmm. me funny stories about growing up with um, Dom Deloise and I don't know. I just really was very, um, I felt very blessed to be there. And I met Carol King. I have a good Carol King story. Let's hear I have a Carol King story. I want to hear yours. Carol King was on a golf court cart at the studio at Burbank Studios with Sebastian Bach, the rock star. Yeah. I'm walking to my trailer. Sebastian says, Kathleen, come here. Sebastian. I'm like, shit, Sebastian Bach. <laughs> Did you know him? I run up to the golf cart and he goes, you're not Kathleen. I said, yeah, I'm Kathleen. And Car Carol King was like, hi, I'm Carol King. I was like, I'm just beyond a huge fan. And you're Sebastian Bach. And, you know, it's so great to meet you. He was like, no, I want the PA. Oh. Isn't she named Kathleen? <laughs> you're not the PA. Nice. <laughs> That's my that's my Carol King story. But I got to say how much I love her so much. Um, do you have, was there a favorite? Was it, I mean, you've done such great work. Did, does anything stand out as like the thing, like that's the thing? That's no, I haven't done anything that, I'm also very picky, but that's why I don't like to watch my own shit. I, I, I feel like I've never done anything that I would, was, uh, I haven't gotten that shot yet, you know? My my stories and my plays, I feel like, are really uh, meaningful to me. But I have no wins there either. So I'm still a work in progress. Maybe maybe because I don't feel like I've mastered anything, jack of all trades. Maybe that is still what is the fire under my ass to keep moving forward, mm -hmm. regardless of what the outcome is. But I have never felt satisfied. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, yeah. Maybe I did a play called Battery, and I was good in that. I was good in that. You've been good in everything, so you can, you can, uh, you can. I try hard, but I don't think I've been satisfied with anything. So the plays that you're writing, are they vehicles for you, I assume? No. 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 Um, I always read all the parts, you know, as I write them. Right. I'm nervous. I now have four percent power, so I almost feel like I need to walk down. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I'll I'll go through the questions while you. Go through the questions. Go ahead. Can okay, I? I'll go through the questions and and I'll see what we need to ask you while you're you're well, going. Walk. Are you pausing or no? We're live. Yeah. No, we're live. Okay, um, so you can ask me. I'll answer. I'll answer. So somebody asked, "Do you have a, a favorite on-screen kiss? Did you do a lot of on-screen kissing?" 
I played a part of a woman who married a guy. Dave, I need power. I'm Dave, we need power. Sorry. Hi, Dave. Dave, Mickey says hi. Hi, Dave. Oh, my God. I haven't seen you in so long. Look at you with the beard. Oh, my oh, God. Who are you? Wow. That's your COVID look. <laughs> All right. I'm so relieved I've got this plugged in. Okay, good. Phew. Okay. So, yeah. all right. So, um, okay. So the on-screen kiss, I played a woman who was on death row, who, who fell in love with the guy she married, who was on death row. And I had to marry him. It was an Ally McBeal. And I had to kiss him. It's the only time I would ever get to kiss him. Right. Cause he's on death row. Anyway. So in order to be good, I had to just completely kiss him. I think that we did maybe 25 takes of that. So I came home with like beard burn, like <laughs> walking through the door and Dave's like, hi, baby. And he's going to kiss me. I'm like, <laughs> no. So I do remember that, but mostly oh look, I don't play those girls that get to kiss the guy. Yeah, that's that's hysterical. All right, and then somebody asked, um, when you were new to film at 22, what was it like working with Charles Bronson? Spectacular. That guy treated me like gold. Oh. He had a soft spot for me. They were scared of he might not like me. Like he he apparently was tricky with some of his co-stars. Really? Yeah. Oh, like you know, he just doesn't. I don't know. He was just very good to me. Um, I learned a lot before every. You know, he when he thinks people are screwing around, he'll go like this. Let's shoot. Let's <laughs> shoot. And. Um, <laughs> Always, he always prioritized his family and went home to Jill Ireland, who was a cancer survivor at the time, and uh -huh. also producing the movie. And um, it was great. I just, I had a ball doing that, and I, I loved working with him. I got nothing negative to say about that guy. He was. I, I love that. Yeah. All right. So I'm glancing down. I don't know. I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm zipping through. I, I, I um. Uh... Please tell Kathleen I have been going through hell for three months and I haven't laughed until tonight. Oh. Smiling and laughing. I could listen to her talk about cleaning out the refrigerator or the flower beds. Fabulous storyteller. That's Cheryl Ann. Oh, Cheryl, I'm so glad. Um, Cindy wants to know if you ever did a soap. Did you ever do a soap opera? Never. No. I just never have. Never, not once. Ever, 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 never. But I have uh, on a podcast that I or did we had a soap opera actress on and I watched soap, her work and thought she was tremendous. My what? podcast partner is a big soap opera fan and uh, it sort of gave me tremendous respect for it. But no, I have never done that. Um, and so I'm, 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 this is going to be like my last question and then we're going to hear you sing my favorite song. So if you could, I, you're teaching now and I assume you're loving teaching. Um, I assume you found a passion for it. Yes? Yeah. Oh, I love it. Okay. So if you could construct your future, what is it? If your perfect, your perfect utopian future of what would, 
what looks right now in this moment, what would make you the happiest? What does it look like? To get my play mounted or my book published. I like writing. I like writing. I, it's a solitary thing. I get to be the star, the director, the lighting guy, the customer. I get to do it all when I'm writing my stories and I love it and I work hard at it. And I, the thing I don't do is put myself out there as a writer. And that's a shame because I just feel extremely passionate about it. It's what I spend all my time doing. I love teaching too. I guess I would love to have a huge class because I think my message um, doesn't get put out there as much as it should, which is acting is a blast. Don't forget about how much fun it is. It's so fun. Did you ever do a sitcom? Cindy's asking that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did the Jeffersons. Okay, Cindy wrote on the Jeffersons, and I'm having Jay Moriarty on the show next week. But Cindy oh, wow. wrote on all of Barry's shows. I did um, the last season of the Jeffersons. I did yeah. cop, uh, no, what's it called? It was called, I sang on a show with George Clooney, actually. Oh, wow. And Jonathan Prince, and I can't remember. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's you great. What was the show? It was called, um, it's about a record company. Um, yeah. So I sang on that. Um, I was on I'm Mad About You. Um, oh, yeah. Because she threw me a, she was very generous for me with that. I was on, um, my friend Carrie Lizer is a sitcom producer, writer, showrunner, and she had me on Will and Grace after my mother died just to help me out. It's very sweet. Mm -hmm. She she has me in her shows. She had me do an episode of. Um, she had me sing all the interstitial music for the New Adventures of Old Christine. I remember that. Oh, um, uh, my stylist was on that show. Which one? Do you know Craig Ames? He's my stylist, really good friend of mine. He was oh, the. Yeah, yeah, I know him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he worked on that show all those years, and oh. um, I remember that you that you did the singing. Yes, I remember that. Quite yeah. wonderful. So is that, is that something you still want to do, like place music in, in film and TV? Uh, I don't know. You know, with the music thing, I just, you know, where I used to write songs every single solitary day. Now I wrote a song because I picked up the guitar for the first time in months to practice for your show. And then I, I just thought, oh, wouldn't it be funny to do? I wonder if people thought about this as a hook. I, I, I'm glad to be quarantined with you or whatever quarantined with you or I don't know. Um, so the music is really not something I'm like, I don't know, I'm 50, I'll be 56 June 29th. So I don't know. I just, I, Maybe. It's just not the same, like, you know, the right stories and I like the right plays. Those are my two things. And I really get a kick out of hearing my plays read out loud. I get very... So what, what will it take for you to get yourself out there as a writer? I mean, I, I want to see you get out there as a writer. What will it take for you to um, to do that for yourself, do you think? I think I have to be like you and just be brave and freaking push yourself away from the computer, send yourself, put yourself out there. And then I just, I just don't do that. And I need to, that's where I really spiritually, like that is really where I am failing, you know, like I, I really, I need, I, I can tell other people, you got to put yourself out there, but I don't do it. 
I don't do it. I've gotten rejected. I feel like I've sent stuff out before it was ready. I sent my first novel out to my friend who's a published novelist. She mm -hmm. and I have to read like hundreds of pages of each other's work. Uh -huh. and he's like, oh my God, Kathleen, you're, you're the best writer. You're so great. And then I sent her what I was working on and I hadn't really refined it. And mm -hmm. she, I obviously, I don't think she liked it. And so I had like tremendous shame about it. Mm -hmm. Kind of a little bit of a like, ugh, cause she sent it without having read it to her publisher and the publisher was like, yuck. And so I just still feel the sting of that and feel like I blew it. Do you know Ben Brown? Um, she has a, a um, TED talk about shame, and uh, you need to get oh, over Brene it. Brown? Did you say Brene Brown? I love her. You you need to watch her a few times and let go of all this shame that you've got going on because you've got so much talent and you just oh. need to you need to get behind yourself the way you get behind the people in your life and do that for yourself and get your writing out there. Um, I I don't know what what fire you've got a light under your because it's really I mean look at J.K. Rollins look how many times did that woman get rejected before she got something published like I know just times. It's like, that's what it takes sometimes. And um, somebody said, by the way, that you made their day. She said, I just came home from a funeral. Thank you. Her name was Vi, and she was my son's nanny when I first came to Nashville. My son is nine. He's now 35. Her, her brother gave me a publishing deal in 1994 as a songwriter. She was Tammy Wynette's sister-in-law. Oh, anyway, you've made her feel better. And uh, that's a wonderful thing. So now that we've made everybody feel better, now I'm now we're gonna rip everybody's heart out because this song of yours absolutely rips my kishkas out of my. Um, it, it 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 wow it, yeah. And I will never forget you singing it for the, and you sang it in the living room and John Castle played cajon for you. Remember? Oh yeah, that was such a gift. Thank you so much. That was so fun. Um, you guys so, want to say hi? Hi. Where's Ruby? Where's Jimmy? I haven't seen Ruby and Jimmy yeah. since they were little. Oh my god. Oh my god. Hi Ruby. Do you love that I was on Gilman Jones, Ruby? Um, you know, it's a funny Snapchat from my friends. She's not very impressed with my career. <laughs> very impressed. She's wonderful. <laughs> Hysterical. She looks a lot like Dave. I that little guy. She does. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay. So, so, um, hi, Dave. Uh, this is another Dave. Uh, so, so Kathleen, um, before you sing the song, I just want to thank you so much. You know, Kathleen's always said to me over the years, use me when you need somebody at the last minute and I will always show up for you. And you always have, but I did not do that. When, when I booked you, it's always been because I've wanted you, not because uh, I needed somebody to fill in at the last minute. I think you might have done that for me once, but um, it's always such a thrill for me. And I'm I'm such a fan of you as a as an artist, as a musician, as an actress, as a human being. And um, and I'm so I'm so happy that you're my friend. And um, thank you so much for doing this. It's been wonderful as always. You're the sweetest. All right, here we go. All right. I'm going to make it just you somehow. How do I do that? There I go.
I see your on my piano about good days gone by. We ask what's wrong, I say, baby, I don't know. But that's, but that's a bald face like you got. One foot out that door, you got one foot. All right, I'm gonna have to do take two. Go ahead. Fall asleep before I get home. You're gone before I arrive. If I chance by you, I'll ask you how your day went. You'll always say just fine. Where you got one foot out that door, you got one foot out that door. How do we get back to where we were before? Then 
screaming to be in a movie i don't know that song really has to go in a movie i mean that is just oh my god look you're getting all this love on 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 the thing uh, that movie that i messed up i messed up oh, my, no. my bridge it's supposed to be like i no longer i no longer need the spotlight don't want your money anymore Rather have you in my arms tonight than watch you hanging your foot out the door. That's how it should have Oh, God. Again, just that little bit. Oh, my God. Did you ever, have you tried to get that, to place that, that song? You know me. I just keep pounding the pavement with all of my material. You know what I do with it? There you go. That, that, that's that song has to, that song has to get placed. That song has to get placed. With you singing it, it has to get placed. It's 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 oh, crazy. I sent. I made an album. My friend he he owns the um, a record a studio, and he let me record there. And I recorded like ten songs. I recorded a whole album in a weekend, and wow. uh, I never mixed it. You know how I do. <laughs> and then I sent some of the little premixes to my friend in Nashville, who's like, um, he's a huge, huge producer. Huge. Okay. And uh, he sent me a text back and he said that he has something broken in his ear and he can't listen to any music. And I was like, your ear's broken. <laughs> you know, which is the truth is he doesn't want to obviously listen to music from his old friends or whatever. I actually just got an idea. Broken ear. I know somebody that's working on something, and if it gets picked up, I think it might be perfect for that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna instigate a little bit. I'm gonna see what I can instigate on that. Well, you're free to. You're so good at that stuff. I'm just, I really, my freaking selling yourself thing is. We all have our weak strengths and weaknesses. High on productivity low on selling myself i would be the worst agent in the world i'd be like probably with my client he's pretty good not i really don't want to use him you know my friend jimmy do you know kathy yeah well i i know i i've met her at your at one of your things but no i don't know kathy she is like the best person in the whole wide world she's mm -hmm. a great person but she always teases me about how like when i invite her to things like probably you wouldn't probably want to come to my house but if you did want to come, come, you know, she always gets like, oh, my God. <laughs> I want to be really good friends with Mo. And I'm trying to remember if I oh, met yeah. Mo. Through, I, I wonder if I met Mo. I must have met Mo from you. I'm thinking I must have. But 
So well, I know the other half of that, that little, that she, little. Yeah, she's a marvelous person. You know, she moved back to San Diego. No. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And then she got a bunch of jobs. So it's certainly not stopping her acting career, which is great because she's fantastic. I have that reminds me that I haven't been in touch with her in too long. Okay, that's a good reason to get in touch with her. I adore Mo. She's amazing. Amazing. So funny. I love Mo. I call her Mo Regard. Mo. The Mo, Mo, Mo came up to uh, when Mike Nesmith did Women Who Write Up at the Henry Miller Library in Big Sur. Mo came up and Jack came up too. Jack was like, uh, Oh, her kid. He's super yeah. talented. Yeah, he's terrific. Yeah. Um, well, Kathleen, thank you so, so much for doing this. It was so fun to hang out with you and to see you again and, and to hear you. And, and I hope it's that I wasn't, I, I wish I was more slick at the end of my talk. You were fantastic. It, it it was perfect. It was perfect. It couldn't have been better. It was. You haven't had people mess up their songs. All the time. This is this is this is what we're alive without an everybody messes. Come on. I right. like every week I say something completely inane. It's <laughs> it's part of the deal. I I screw something up every single week. It's it, every day when I go live. It's part of the deal. <laughs> Who cares? We're uh, human. We're just people doing this thing. True. True. <laughs> well, I, I wish you I wish you safety, all of you, and, and perfect health and you too. and um yeah, and uh getting through this whole thing. And uh, I hope that if there's one thing that happens is that you put your work in somebody else's hands soon. <laughs> that's my wish for you. Cause you don't need any other wish beyond that. It's just to let go of it. <gasps> Not easy. We I all know. have that's tricky for me. Yeah. I need to do that for sure. Anyway, um, Vicki, your support means the world and I appreciate you having me on your show and I think you're delightful. You're just Thanks. a wonderful person. I'm really grateful that you are putting yourself out there the way you do so beautifully. I'm really, really honored to be on your show and you can use me as a pinch hitter anytime. I love it. I, I was going to say, I also just had a flash. I remember you used to come to Women Who Write and just sit in the house and be be one of us. Great girl. Yeah. You were inspiring. And it was such a great, you know, to have people at your house during school hours. I have 2% power. So if I click okay. off, we made it. We did our time. Okay, good. Right. I just don't want to mess it up for you. But thank you, you so much. Thank you. I love you. I love See you soon, I hope. Okay. Bye. How do we sign off?